I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello and welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Maggie. And I'm Harmony. And today we have a very special spooky Halloween edition with our friend Rachel, who is the mistress of all things spooky. Say hello, Rachel. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, Rachel? Sure. So I am uh, in Connecticut. uh, So, you know, not close to either one of these two. I graduated with them. And uh, now we're just living life, hanging out and being an adult. (laughs) Yeah, that shit suck. When did your interest in the spooky thing start, though? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think I've always kind of just been interested in it. When I was little, you know, I had scary stories to tell in the dark and things like that. I was a really big fan of Scooby-Doo and Courage the Cowardly Dog. But I think it really took off when I was 13 or 12 or 13. And I discovered Ghost Hunters on the sci-fi channels. And I was like in love with that stuff and I watched it religiously and I found all these other spooky shows and then I found books on more books on spooky yeah on spooky things and it was uh yeah about then what are your favorite books I would say one of my favorite book series is Game of Thrones I read that last year and then I really like Stephen King as a writer. I haven't read as many of his books as I would like, but I really did enjoy uh, Pet Cemetery. That was a good one. Ugh, this is like trying to choose your favorite kid, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I would say those ones for now. Okay. Are they making a Pet Cemetery movie? I think it already came out. Yeah, they're remaking it, or they remade it. What are your opinions? I like the original. I have not seen the remake. So we'll see. Uh, we're going to play a game because Harmony likes icebreakers for some reason. Uh, so we're going to get... I have a timer. <laughs> you... I have a timer. Okay. So we're going to do like rapid fire questions. You just got to answer as fast as possible. What are we giving her? Like 10 seconds each? 30 seconds oh, was God. too much last week. Yeah, let's do 10 seconds. All right. Uh, Eric, Rachel, you ready? I think so. What are the three spookiest areas you've ever encountered? Eastern St. Penitentiary, um, the Holgram Mansion in North Adams, and I don't have a third one that I can think of. It's been 10 seconds. Ready? Yes. Three, three ways to ward off spirits. Um, if you're religious, like crosses and stuff, um, sage burning if you're not religious, and uh, just stay away from all things scary, like Ouija boards and stuff like that. Just don't invite that shit in. <laughs> Three favorite ghost stories? Uh, the Bell Witch is a really good one. Um, the Ribbon Neck Woman. I don't really know if that's a scary 
it's a scary story, not a ghost story. And I really like the story of um, the woman in black. Very nice. Three favorite lady ghosts. Um, my friend Kelly's going to kill me, but the uh, woman in black, she's cool. Um, I don't really think I have three favorites. <laughs> I can't think of them. That's all right. <laughs> Thank you, Harmony. Hello, friends. It is Harmony from the future. Or the past. Your future. My past? Who cares? Time isn't linear anyway. Anywho, Maggie and I just wanted to let you all know that we do not condone the burning of white sage. Our guest mentioned sage, and that is a very contentious spiritual cleansing method right now. White sage is predominantly used by indigenous cultures, but like a lot of things, has been co-opted by white people. And that's cultural appropriation, friends. It also isn't necessarily always purchased from sustainable sources, like the Native American people who are growing it. So Maggie and I just wanted to come in and let you all know that there are plenty of other cleansing alternatives if you want to get rid of unfriendly spirits. You know, if you believe in that sort of stuff. I personally suggest cedar, rosemary, or mugwort, or really just looking up anything that is indigenous to the cultures that you personally come from and your personal ancestry. We have this friendly thing called Google, and y'all can find it. Okay, friends, that's all. Bye! That was the end of our rapid fire. Thank you for playing our game, Rachel. You're welcome. We talked a little bit about when your interest in ghost stories began, but we want to dive into that a little bit more. Harmony, do you want to talk a little bit about the section before we get into the story? Yeah, so I wanted to know if you've ever had any experiences with ghosts. So I did a ghost tour of the Holgram Mansion when we lived in North Adams. That was pretty scary. They like broke you up into groups. And then we went into the basement and they were telling this story about this little girl and they had like all these toys down there for her and stuff. And the toys were moving around the place. There was a rocking chair and it just started rocking back and forth. And then the guy picked it up and he's like, okay, we're not going to play with that. And he put it on a chair and he went to go get it later. And it had been like move. Like it just was not where he had put it down. Also, I think something pinched my butt while I was sitting in a chair, so that was pretty scary. Oh. That was a thing that they said happened. Like, people would, like, feel, like, pinched and stuff or, like, poked or whatever. So that was that was pretty frightening. <laughs> and so for our listeners who are not experienced with North Adams, can you give us a little bit of background on what that mansion is? Yeah, so um, I don't have – I don't remember a ton of the background of it, I'll be honest. But the some of where the ghosts came from, this – man he lived there with his family they had a car and if you've never been to north adams one of the ways you get in and out of it is this very sharp hairpin turn that's on a mountain so the man he asked his driver to get his car him and his daughters got in the car and they went around the corner it i don't remember if something was in their way or not they just went off the road they fell off the hairpin turn they the driver lived. Um, they got father back to the house, but he died shortly after. The daughters died, and 
later the driver felt so guilty about what happened it wasn't his fault but he felt really guilty about it so he killed himself in their shed that's where he lived he like lived in like the driver's shed there so now they say like all of them haunt the house so that's that story behind why they are there it's pretty sad holy shit yeah that's very sad i didn't know any of that yeah there was a couple other stories too but that was definitely like the main one that's the main one there's like yeah they all have like little and then it turned into a uh freemason building so the freemasons meet there i think they still might meet there i'm not entirely sure i know we went into their meeting they do and also a couple of their brothers are, are said to haunt the building i dd and i did the same tour not at the same time as rachel and ben but we went after they said they had a good experience which i will never take dd on a ghost tour again but that's a whole other story Have you ever finished a book and wondered, what do I read next? Or wished that you were in a book club, but everyone you know says they don't have time to read? Maybe you enjoy audiobooks or are looking to try a new-to-you genre, author, or narrator. Hi, I'm Tamara, and I have a shelf addiction. I read books, listen to audiobooks, and I'm here to share with you the best of the best and to warn you off of the worst. I hope to open your mind to new and awesome books to feed your inner book nerd. I have a unique and honest perspective, and I look forward to talking books with you. From entertaining book chats and interviews to five-minute book reviews, there's something for every type of reader on the Shelf Addiction Podcast. Subscribe for free on your podcatcher of choice by going to shelfaddiction.com forward slash podcast, and you too can have a shelf addiction. What I did want to ask you, I wanted to ask Rachel in particular, mm-hmm. whether her experiences with ghosts matched the media's portrayal of ghosts, like whether it, the experiences were accurate to what is portrayed in the media. By media, do you mean like movies or books or like all of the above? Okay, I guess my answer would be no, because if in horror movies, you know, like the ghost is usually the scary thing that's like coming after you. And during, at least for my experience, I wasn't scared. I was just kind of like, oh, this is weird. And this is kind of creepy. But like, you know, in horror movies, you kind of feel like the people are in danger. I did not feel like I was in danger. So I definitely think the media probably, at least like movies and stuff kind of go into this, like ghosts can really like have a full on conversation like you and I are having when that's really just not super true. I've heard of people being like, oh, you know, we had this conversation. A lot of the shows, you know, they don't always know they're having that conversation until they go back and they like review the evidence because a lot of the time you can't hear it uh, when it's happening and movies and like scary stories kind of make it seem like it's, you know, they're always just are you saying that like ghosts and movies appear to be corporeal beings yeah versus this kind of abstract thing that we don't really understand and like they're supposed to communicate like you and i right that's what i'm trying to say like the movies and books kind of make it seem like ghosts know that you're there and people 
the people in the house know that the ghosts are there when a lot of the times, you know, you don't know there's a ghost in your house until you, you know, something flies off the shelf and you didn't realize it. Or most of the times that ghosts don't talk to you, they might, you might hear phrases or words, but you can't sit down and have a conversation with them. You also probably won't see them as often as movies make it seem. That's, I'm not saying that's true for every instance or occurrence because I don't know every instance or occurrence. I'm definitely far from being an expert, but that's kind of how it works. Yeah, that's my general understanding of how the ghosts work. Everyone has different theories on ghosts, but those are my views. That's interesting because Rachel gave us two ghost stories that have some sort of, like, they're folkloric, but, like, they're ghost stories that have existed in the real world and are supposed supposed to have happened. And... Yes. Yeah, and one of the ones, I think the Bell House, we didn't have the same link for, right? Because I looked that one up on my own. But when I read about it, okay. I just went to their website. I mean, I, I heard, originally heard it from um, a ghost TV show. Like, I think it was like Scariest Places or something on Travel Channel. But you can actually go visit that cave. That's so That's where I read it, the lore, the legend on. And I read it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel is well versed in ghost lore. She says she's not an expert, but she definitely has a strong interest in it. But in that one, one of the things I read, like there was a legend in which the Bell Witch did talk to somebody, but it was through some sort of medium. Yes. Oh, interesting. Because the one I saw was just like the Bell Witch would just sit there and just like scream at people. But I think, but I think that an important difference potentially is like the difference between having a conversation and like a ghost just kind of like being there and like screaming at you because at least in the version of the bell witch that i was seeing even if there wasn't a medium involved like the bell witch wasn't necessarily conversing with the family she was terrorizing she was just she was responding to things that they were doing and stuff but it wasn't like they were like having a conversation like she was just saying kind of like the scariest shit she possibly could and then making it happen, you know? Yeah, but in the account that I read, multiple people asked her to tell them something that only their families would know, and she would tell. Rachel's nodding, so she must know this. No, I, I'm not sure on that. I don't remember reading that one, but... Oh, I read it on Wikipedia. Oh. But that... <laughs> oh. We'll get into that later, though, but before we <laughs> dive into our stories, I do want to ask Rachel one more question, mm-hmm. because we are a... Um, our whole thing is reading literature or, or mediums through a, a feminist lens. And so I wanted to know what you thought about the feminine archetypes for ghost stories and what they were. In terms of like movies and books and stuff, I realized that female ghosts tend to always, not always, but most of the time, be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't think of um, an example where they were like the hero of the story maggie mentioned the what lies beneath has like a she's not the protagonist by any means but like a lot of her actions are partially to like warn the main character about her husband so like there's a good ghost kind of from what i remember i haven't seen this movie in ages but like there's kind of like a good ghost and a bad ghost and and one of the ghosts is like a a victim of the husband and is like trying to help the wife escape because she doesn't know what's happening but like she's also a very minor 
role, you know? Yeah, so most of the time, the ghost, female ghosts tend to be the bad guy, the, you know, it's the antagonist. There's a few stories where they are, like, a sidekick or, like, a helper, but The Conjuring, she's a ghost, she's the villain. Woman in Black, she's a ghost, she's a villain. I mean, Beetlejuice, she's a ghost, but she just, she's not the main character. She's a supporting character to Winona Ryder's character. So that's just kind of, I'm not sure why that is, but that's just how it seems to be. I'm sure there's examples that they're probably good, but I I haven't heard of any. Yeah. Do we see more female ghost characters than we do male in, in these stories? I think so, in my experience. I also think so. Um, I mean, I do know of like, you know, there's move or TV shows and movies like Casper the Friendly Ghost and like Danny Phantom, like they're ghosts and they're male and they're the heroes. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, there's yeah, I couldn't, re- I can't really think of many where they're like the villain. There are some where that men male ghosts that are the villain, but there's not as many. I think as female ghosts i think also it depends on like what kind of uh like spooky mythology Mm. you're talking about because like i think that i think that the the roles are very gendered not necessarily in the sense of who's the villain and who's the good guy necessarily but i think that females tend to be cast more as like ghost types and men tend to be cast more as like monsters like demons and monsters and Mm. things like that and like in a lot of ways both of those things are still villainous but like for some reason specifically ghosts i think tend to be in the media viewed as more female but like i'm also trying to think rachel i'm i'm thinking about the ghost tour we went on in seattle mm-hmm. there was like i feel like in real life quote unquote ghost stories like it's it's much more even yeah it's definitely right? more like, even you have you have more representation of like instances where there are male ghosts and instances where there are female ghosts and things like that. If you go on ghost tours and things like that. Yeah. I would say like in real life, it's very even, you know, even just like watching things like, you know, those true ghost shows on like travel and discovery and all those stuff. It's, you know, they seem to be like one story will be like, Oh, this house is haunted by like a farmer man who didn't want to give up his land. And then the next one will be haunted by like, an old woman that didn't want to give up her house when she died or it's very like half and half it's which is probably more accurate because if we are to believe that ghosts do exist i mean yeah yeah yeah, there's going to be an equal amount of sexes yeah that's interesting i wonder if females are portrayed more as ghosts in the media because like my concept of ghosts is this kind of like ethereal wispy thing and maybe the fact that it's not like a corporal body lends itself more to our concept of femininity maybe i think that there's also something rachel and i were talking about earlier too is that there's also a weird intersection between ghost witches like there's a very like strong correlation between witches who are also ghosts too interesting that's really interesting i wonder i guess we can get into that when we talk about the bell witch yes i had a lot of questions about that because I didn't, I didn't understand that there was an intersection. I was like, why, why are we calling this person a woman? Why is it a witch? Like, to me, it just seems like a ghosty thing. And my concept of witch is like, because I have a huge interest in it, and I've kind of always, because of Harry Potter, like, 
mm-hmm. might be very biased towards like this goodly creature. So it's hard for me to understand the witch in folklore being a ghost. Hmm. Okay. Maggie had some questions about the Bell Witch. Do you want to get into that, Mags? Right. We all kind of have different experiences mm-hmm. with the Bell Witch. The second story that we're going to talk about, we we all worked off like the same chapter of a ghost book that Rachel distributed to us. But Rachel, would you mind kind of giving us an overview summary? Harmony read Wiki. I read the kind of preface of a, of a mm-hmm. book that was on the Bell Witch website. So do you want to give us like an, an overarching story to be working with here? Probably should have looked up the exact date because I don't remember the dates, but that's okay. Yeah, they had a group of witch hunters come in, right? And they were all like, it's going to be fine. Like, we're going to tame the witch. And she, like, fucking yeah, she instantly was... just laid them yeah, out. It was, uh, it was a good time. They were just like, she was not about having people bother her. She just wanted to kill some people. and But, like, they, you don't know either. Um, there's no, like, report of a ghost ever actually killing another human like killing a a human so you can't give her credit because like yes there was poison in his hand and she said she gave it to him but you don't know you don't know what he did this is in 1800 so the stories are you know based on what people wrote at the time so i think the one thing i would add to that that's really interesting is that she she disappears after John dies, but she attached herself to the entire family, according to Pat's Pat Fitzhugh, who wrote like an entire huge mm-hmm. book on the whole thing. Um, and she said that she was going to specifically come back and haunt the family after like seven years and then 17 years and then 107 years later. Um, and as far as like the family accounts go, there is accounts of her coming back at seven and 17 years but i don't think it was ever substantiated that she came back in like 1935 which is when she was supposed to later so like she like attached herself to this family and so according to the story you read she was haunting them because she didn't like that the girl was going after a certain type of guy that was like what the um the I looked it up. I looked at their website, but because you can go tour the cave and like stay in the house, so I I read that account. Um, I hadn't heard that account before I read their website, but that was when what they said. That's kind of when it started, but they're not entirely sure. So the Bell Witch is a story about the Bell family. John Bell and his family it was the 18 the later 1800s like mid to later 1800s because Andrew Jackson actually visited the house once so it it just kind of started out of the blue one day this one of John Bell's daughters was kind of like flirting with this man in town that I guess she the Bell witch decided she wasn't good enough for and she just started like appearing to the family she was like screaming at this girl in her bed she would like kind of hit them and like scratch them and all this stuff you know just absolute terrorizing creature they said they saw creatures all with the same kind of eyes the which they later decided was the bell witch and i think they said they asked her her name once and she said her name was kate i'm not 100 percent sure that's 
but they started calling her Kate. So it just went on for a long time. And then one day John started getting really sick and then his wife was like taking care of him and she left for a few minutes and she came back and he was dead and there was a bottle of poison in his hand. When they were burying him, it said that you could hear over the trees, like the the voice of the bell witch just like screaming like, I killed John Bell. She was like really happy. She was singing about it, like all during his funeral. And then after he died, it kind of just stopped. It was weird. But there's a cave not too far from that their house. And people still say that you can like hear like growling and like, hissing and like sometimes chanting but like just a lot of weird noises coming from the cave it's really kind of freaky um but yeah they don't know who she was they never found out she did torment people who would like come to visit them to try to like figure out what was going on it was wild see i read something different which is that what happened with the oldest daughter was like later in a series of tormenting that was happening like to the family as soon as they moved into the house i read a few different accounts because i was on the wikipedia page and one of them it said that she favored the mother who was described as the like the most good woman on earth and hated the father and then the other was that there was a story in a newspaper that seemed to be false because of the the age of the the girl but it said that the girl really was the witch and knew how to do ventriloquism and was trying to get this one guy to marry her and therefore was pretending to be the witch, saying that she wouldn't stop terrorizing the family until this one man married her. And then, yes. I haven't heard that. That's interesting. That's according to the Wikipedia. So I don't know how accurate it is, but (laughs) I think that it's interesting the different folklore around this. That actually brings me to my first question, because I think that it's really important that all three of us have read, like, and encountered three different, like, versions of this story. I mean, Rachel, it sounds like even more than than that. Um, The account that I read, which is on bellwitch.org, and again, is, is part of a book written by somebody who's very famous for investigating this account uh pat Fitzhugh. they this person claims that this account that they're telling is based off numerous substantiated claims so i'm curious then about the idea of like what when we're looking at like true ghost stories like what counts as a substantiated claim like which one of the accounts that all three of us are are like working with right now like what is how do we know which one is the true one and i'm curious about what your what your idea about Mm. that is rachel like which one do you tend to go with and things like that For me, you know, if someone's telling me the story or I'm like watching it on TV or something, you know, I try to listen for like, oh, you know, like for the personal stories, I guess. If someone says, you know, if, you know, they're, I know it's hard for like the Bell Witch because it's happened over a hundred years ago at this point, but, um, I guess for that one, I would try to go based on like what the people who currently are running it have to say, like the people who are running the the tours and stuff. Cause to me, I would hope that they did all of their research and that they are running it because they have this weird historic site, I guess you want to call it. And kind of just, I would go with, you know, what they have to say. And if you're reading like a book, 
you know, check the references, like who did they look at? Who did they talk to? Um, but if it's something for like a more modern story, then trying to keep reading people's like firsthand accounts, you know, like I believe, you know, the things that happened on that ghost tour we went on because they said these are the things that happened. And then there was that weird video. So that's, I don't know if that fully answers the question, but. No, that's totally fine. I think it's a hard thing to answer because it's like, especially with things like the Bell Witch, you know, like it did happen hundreds of years ago, right? The ghost tour Rachel is referencing, we we were looking at a video of a claim that happened, you know, much more recently. So it was easier to kind of understand because a there was like video evidence of of some of the things that were happening but also like the eyewitness accounts of people who are there and stuff are all they're current and alive today i just think it's interesting the way in which like especially with really historic ghost stories like because we're working with all of these ancient documents and like harmony was saying about that newspaper right like People can say whatever they they want, you know? It's interesting, I think, the job of a historian in this kind of aspect to have to kind of pull together all of these different pieces of evidence to try and find which claims, like, kind of match up together most closely, you know? But then at the same time, you never know, like, what if those other things also happened? I also think the idea of going back to the original site is really interesting. I'm not going to say where, just because I don't feel super comfortable about it, but I worked for three years at a site that is considered to be haunted. Uh, Ghost Hunters has gone there multiple times. We ran, like, ghost tours and things like that. And I will say that we did our best to do all the research we could, but it's, like, really difficult because a lot of the records of times of, of things like that are shitty people especially in in cases if you're working in a big mansion or something like a lot of times employers did not keep great records about where employees went or whether they died or why or what happened and things like that and something interesting that happened is that we had two different psychics come and they gave two different answers to what was happening like they had two vastly different experiences so like gathering evidence from the source is like a great place to go but like is a little bit of behind the scenes information on that. It's also sometimes really, really difficult even for people who are diligent at like the source material to actually even come up with one cohesive story. Interesting. So should we just be looking for different accounts that across time periods and across places of the same events or events that are similar, do we think? I would say yes, because if, you know, you get you know someone from like the 90s being like this victorian house that i'm living in is haunted and then someone else moves in in like 2010 and reports similar things even if they hadn't heard the story before then you're like oh these are kind of similar events so it might be like the same thing yeah do you guys want to dig deeper into that or maggie do you have other questions I mean, I have other questions. I think it's hard, right? Because we're dealing with the idea of both truth and the supernatural simultaneously. And so, like, it's difficult to come up with any sort of real answer here. I just thought it was interesting because since I do have experience working at a historic site that is considered to be haunted, that, like, I could give a little bit of insight to the fact that, like, even when you're trying really diligently to like make these claims and like try and understand what happened it's like it's really 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 hard you know but I do agree with Rachel I think that the one of the best ways to do it is to try and go back through history as much as you can and find the most similar claims I don't think that you can necessarily throw out the ones that like don't fit into the 
to like the norm. But I think that if you have like a ton of people saying the same thing over and over again, then like most likely you're dealing with this one story that versus the other one. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that like, this is just the story of the place where I lived. Like I'm not trying to say that that's the case or the experience of like other historic places, but I would also say that the place where I did, we never faked our ghost tours um we were very like the behind the like we we never put people in the attic sort of deal because that is something that can happen when you go on ghost tours is that people will kind of fake things um so like we tried to take it as seriously as we possibly could so that any sort of experience that people had while they were on our property was as authentic as possible and during the three years that i worked there there were only two employees at the time that had not had an experience so wow yeah. Wow. But yeah, I mean, it's just hard with the truth, right? Like, even if you're trying as hard as you can to figure out what happened and, and who died and, like, what's happening, like, we don't have the technology, like, it's the supernatural for a reason, right? Like, we don't have the technology to figure out what all of these st- substantiated claims actually mean. And I think it's difficult sometimes because substantiated can mean something different to every sort of researcher, you know, because there's no, like, it's not scientific. There's yeah. no, like, rigorous process. It's also hard to make, like, a general comment about everything because just, like, people, ghosts all act differently and they do different things and there's, like, different types of things and it's just it's huge. You can't, like, be like, oh, they all do this. It, it doesn't work like that. It's yeah, that's for sure. Because you don't know. Rachel, can we talk about the animal for a second? Because the claim that I read also talked about the Bell Witch kind of manifesting as an animal. And in the claim I read, it specifically said that she mm-hmm. that she manifested as like a rabbit with a dog's head. <laughs> and I was wondering, yeah, fucking freaky, right? So I was wondering what animals that you heard and like what you thought the correlation with that was and whether to a certain extent, if you thought that was more a ghost part of it or if it was more related to kind of the witchy part of her lore i think the the one that i read just said like a general beast of some sort it didn't really give a specific specify kind of um scary rabbit dog hybrid um well now you can all have that lovely (laughs) image in your mind you're welcome (laughs) so but yeah i just i would say that's probably more of like a witchy aspect of it just because like I haven't heard many other ghosts manifesting as such creepy things. Um. So yeah, I like I said, I I heard just regular beast, which is something that like demons also kind of do. I don't want to get into that can of worms, but I'm just gonna throw that little nugget out there in the world. <laughs> Mine said that one of the people in the household kept on seeing a black dog, which I think throughout history and literature tends to be an ominous sort of sign. So I think it's interesting that she was a dog-rabbit hybrid because I think rabbits throughout history and literature symbolically are not usually evil creatures. I think it was a rabbit dog. Let me double check now. I'm looking at a picture of it. It is goddamn terrifying. (laughs) I've ascended to you. Please do. I need yeah, to see the, what the this body, looks like. The body of a dog and the we head of a rabbit. this in our show notes so everyone can see. Oh, yeah. you. Everyone gets to look at this weird picture of the dog-rabbit oh, hybrid. Okay. Yeah, so 
Do we have other stories of witches turning into beasts? Or is that just a demon thing, Rachel? I mean, if you, like, go into history in the Salem Witch Trials, there's, you know, people said, like, oh, she turned into a cat and then jumped up the window after she yelled at me in my bedroom, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, that didn't happen. She was a person and you just killed her for no reason. Um, But yeah, there's, like, that... There's an aspect of, like, witches that I know of in, like, historical senses turning into, like, some kind of creature at some point in their, you know, like, controlling birds or something, like, of that nature. Yeah, and I would also say, like, commune, even if it wasn't, like, a transformation, like, communing with animals who were disguised, who were, like, the devil in disguise, like, uh, from the Vivich, (laughs) Black Philip, the Black Goat being the devil and stuff like that. Um, again, I totally agree with Rachel. Like most of those claims are just unsubstantiated, like Salem witchcraft mass hysteria vibes. But like those are the kinds of images I think that people see when they think of like the evil, like harmful witch going like way back in history. Yeah, that's interesting. So I wonder if that bit about the beast is like people's eyes playing tricks on them, or if it's more just like a folkloric part of the story that has. I don't know, integrated itself into maybe some true claims? I don't know. Uh, the The one that I am, am read uh, says that only, or, or seems to say that only John Bell saw the saw this weird animal thing. And I think that one thing that's f- fair to say that's true across all of the claims we saw is that John Bell was one of the most tormented members of the family. Um, so... I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying really hard to send you guys this weird picture, but my internet is being so slow. I really need to. You wanted to ask Rachel a question about the youngest girl being tormented. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So in the account I read, like I said, uh, I saw a lot of things that talk about sort of like things starting to come into play when the um, family moved in, which I think is something that we Mm -hmm. see commonly across a lot of ghost stories. But something also was that, their youngest daughter besides John was one of the first people to be tormented like physically by her and like was being attacked in bed and like was scratched and like people were like playing with her feet and stuff like that. And I thought that that was also a trope that we see across a lot of ghost stories. So I was wondering what you thought about the idea, like about that commonality of like the youngest kid kind of constantly being uh, especially the youngest daughter being one of the first to be physically like touched and attacked. And I wondered if you thought it was like sort of a trope that's kind of become ubiquitous within ghost stories, or if you think that there's something about like maybe the age where like sometimes the youngest might still be most willing to believe or things like that. And what you thought about that idea. Cause I feel like it's something you see a lot. I think it almost might be like a little bit of both. Like it started off you know, sort of the youngest or like the the younger children still believe. And I think it has a little, if you want to get into like a religiously aspect of it, it might have to do with like an innocence thing. Yeah. It, just kind of being more susceptible to stuff like that and like trying to, you know, being taken over by evil or however you want to phrase it. And I think maybe that did happen in, you know, the old tales and stuff and then kind of morphed into you know, today's tropes of that's what we're going to go with because it's kind of scarier and like, but also has that little bit of like truthful lore to it. I I think that's kind of how it 
Also, the picture finally loaded. I wonder why we as a society value young girl innocence over young boy innocence, because I do think that is a trope that we see in horror and throughout ghost stories. And I don't know if it is like a kind of religious thing, like maybe it's a Christianity sort of influence, because we have the idea of the virgin so strongly perpetuated in it. And I wonder if, if we are to believe that ghosts are real, like if our societal tropes could affect the way ghosts interact with humans or even just like the way we as humans experience ghosts. I think that would make a lot of sense, especially considering the fact that like when you're thinking about ghosts, you are, you know, thinking about somebody, you're thinking about somebody, right? Like somebody who used to live in society, somebody who used to be kind of built into all of those tropes and beliefs and stuff like that. And I think especially when you're dealing with historic ghosts, that makes a lot of sense because like, even if they've, you know, crossed over into the supernatural and stuff, right? Like they lived in society. They probably believed most of the things that were ingrained in people in society and all of that stuff, you know? How do you feel um, about that, Rachel? No, I would agree with Harmony too. Like, it, you know, the, the idea of like, you know, the Virgin Mary, she was taken in by like the good of God and given something happy you know, a kid that would save all of humanity. Yeah, children are used a lot when we're talking about scary things. And little girls seem to be scarier than little boys. And it's because we we think they're more innocent. And so I think that it's interesting that these accounts of real people experiencing stuff to do with ghosts also seem to mirror that, that little girls have the worst experience of it or at the very least the first experience of it usually yeah because like in the the movie the conjuring which is based off a case that the warrens worked on the little girl april was the first to like encounter a ghost because she found a music box that was a little boy's ghost music box so that was fun yeah do we think though you were talking a little bit about children maybe being more societal or like more psychically inclined is that usually a thing too it i don't know if i'd say it's a thing but it definitely happens occasionally you tend to hear like oh the little kids are scared because like you know monster under my bed it could be a ghost it could be you know their imagination but that's i would say they're probably a little they're more likely to believe it at the very least you know whereas if i was like hey i think my house is haunted you'd be like well, why? And you're like, well, I heard a noise. And like, well, it's just the pipes. But like a little kid's not going to be like, oh, it's the pipes. It's going to be, there's something scary in my house. Even if it's not true, you know? Yeah. I th- Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's less that they're more psychically inclined and more just like you learn disbelief as you get older. But like when you're a kid in our society, especially right now, like you're taught that Santa Claus and all of other, and like a lot of other, like the tooth fairy, supernatural things are real. So I think that especially for a kid, who's living in our society right now, like it's easy to believe that if all of these good things that are kind of like supernatural and uncanny are real, then like, of course there are probably also bad things to kind of balance that out, you know? Uh, Rachel touched a little bit on this where like people would come to the house. Well, in the thing that I saw, there was, they tried to bring a witch tamer to the house. Let me let me read the expert again from um, this person, Pat Fitzhugh's website. Mm-hmm. 
One of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. After several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any evil spirit it came into contact with. He went on to say that the reason nothing happened to them was because wherever whatever had been disturbing the bells was scared of his silver bullet. Immediately, the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong, swift kick to the man's posterior region from an invisible foot sent him out the front door. Angry, the entity then spoke up and announced that there was yet another fraud in Jackson's party and that he would be identified and tormented the following evening. There's accounts out there of witch tamers coming in. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I was wondering if Rachel had heard about the idea of a witch tamer versus a witch hunter and what we thought kind of like from a feminist lens, the difference in those two kind of phrases is because they strike me as being both very sexist, but for kind of like different reasons. So I I was just, yeah. Have you heard that term before, Rachel? Like witch tamer? That's the first time I had ever come across it. I have not heard of that before that little section there um but that's really strange that you they thought they could tame witches i guess but i can see hunting them but i can't see like being like oh i will tame it because pulling out a silver bullet just kind of sounds like you're just gonna kill it and that therefore you hunted it so that's kind of odd to me at least yeah i don't know i think it just really struck me as odd also because like there's there's such an idea throughout society of like taming a dangerous woman and stuff like that. It just struck me as such a weird phrase, right? Like I think we've all heard of witch hunters and stuff like that, but like I was really blown away by it. And um, I don't know. I, I keep coming back to this person's like book and the sections of it that I read um, mostly just because their references are like available online and you can see a lot of the research that they did. And this person has looked at like hundreds of accounts of the bell witch like it's kind of crazy so it just i don't know the idea of a witch tamer really like it almost scared me more than a witch hunter i don't know why it just it really struck me as being very wrong why is my girl the bell witch both a witch and a ghost please answer i think she said she was a witch but then they determined that she had to be a ghost somehow I don't quite remember. Um, so the... Sorry. No, go ahead. You probably have the actual answer because I, I honestly can't remember. So uh, again, coming off of uh, Pat's Fitzhugh's kind of frequently asked questions, uh, from a historical standpoint, he says the reason behind the legend's name, which dates back to the early 1800s, is that early settlers considered most anything that baffled them witchery. Um And to also keep in mind that this legend happened only kind of a couple generations after the Salem witch trials. So like a lot of things that were happening at this time period were labeled as being witchy or like witchery, partially because of like leftover paranoia from like grandparents and great grandparents. And partially also just because thinking of something as being witchy or witchery was like very common at the time. That's what this historian says. If we thought of her as a man, though, would she be still considered a witch? I don't know, because that, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at somebody else's research. Like I said, all credit goes to Pat Fitzhugh here, and it doesn't answer that necessarily. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think maybe not, just because if it's based off this idea of like general paranoia, especially coming off of the Salem witch trials and things like that, and like not understanding the uncanny, like thinking in a 
early settler in the early 1800s. I feel like if it was more of a male voice or a male presence, like they probably wouldn't have called it a witch. They probably would have called it something else just because witchery seemed at that time to be so heavily skewed towards, you know, female blaming and things like that. That's true. I mean, there were male. Sorry, Rachel, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it probably would have been considered, like, the devil or a demon or something like that. But I was actually going to say what you said, that there were males that were killed during the Salem witch trials. Yeah, because the whole thing about witchcraft in that time um, was just that, like, witches were agents of the devil. So they were considered part of demons, and maybe ghosts would have been considered agents of the devil, too, or trapped by the devil or something. Yeah, I don't know. So, I th- but I think that that's an interesting question about gender and stuff. And like, do you think then that maybe back at that time, if it was if it was presented more as a male figure, that it would have also been considered a witch? And maybe nowadays, if something like this happened and it was being named, it wouldn't be. I think because I think that that has some merit. Yeah, I think maybe. And I wondered too if it was partially considered a witch because they thought that somebody was like somebody who had some sort of magical witchery powers was sending this upon them so like maybe it wasn't a ghost at all maybe it was like somebody real terrorizing them i guess through some sort of the supernatural i don't know i feel like i can't use that conjecture because my opinion on this is based on somebody else's like research and like theory and they say nothing about that but okay that was just like what i was thinking it was really just my theorizing based on what i had read totally fair yeah so yeah, I do think I do think now we maybe because witches are have through historically been skewed more female, but that was because females were thought to be the weaker sex, but also because we did like herbs and medicines and things that men didn't understand, and because we menstruate, and because like women in Christianity were demonized, and women in other religions earlier than Christianity were also kind of demonized, but um, it. And, and and because women were witches were supposedly like the consorts of the the devil they were sleeping with the devil so there is some sort of like feminine skew there but i think that throughout our century since we have been reclaiming the word witch not just within quote unquote witchy religions but also as a feminist term we might link it more to femininity than they did back then yeah, for sure. Rachel, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm sorry, Harmony and I have taken over this with our feminist theorizing. <laughs> no, 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 you guys are fine. You guys, are, uh, No, I, I don't really have anything else to add to that, I guess. All right, then my next... It wasn't even a question. By the by, the end of me reading this story, I was just, like, making commentary in our notes. Did y'all see the version where they fucking <laughs> poisoned their cat? Because that disturbed me. No. I did not see that version. Um, but I believe that so it wasn't to be that true. the bell witch poisoned the cat. It, it's based off what Rachel was saying earlier with the summary of the bell witch poisoning John Bell and taking claim for it. So in the version of the story that I read when they were trying to figure out what the bottle was and what happened to him, she didn't say it was poison. It wasn't obvious. So they gave a little bit of what was in the bottle to the cat and it instantly died. And they were like, Wah! and I was like, who the fuck sees a mysterious bottle? in the hand of a dead man and it's like you know what i need to test this out on my cat like what the fuck at least they were smart enough to not try it on themselves yeah maybe they just didn't value the cat's life that much maybe they thought it was the witch yeah yeah maybe 
cats and witches you know i didn't like it i was zero out of ten about that part no that was that was my breaking point i was like i hate this i hate everything that's happening here i was asking about lesbianism and if the witch uh maybe was determined to be a witch because she was nice to the really good lady or if in this case the witch was a man i don't know i don't know maybe you guys didn't read this account and therefore it's irrelevant i just thought it was interesting that she liked the lady who was a very good lady i liked the homoerotic undertones I heard something similar. I it wasn't as far in mind to like make me think of homoerotic undertones, but like I don't know. I think that's an interesting question. Like Rachel, have you ever heard of like I don't want to say like an LGBTQ ghost because clearly if there are ghosts and LGBTQ people die, then like those exist. But like have you heard of of ghosts tormenting people in in uh heterosexual relationships because they were more interested in in a partner or something like that? Like even just Oh yeah. <laughs> um let me think. I don't I don't think so. Not that I can recall. I mean, maybe just an American horror story, but uh but not in like I'm sure, I'm sure it probably exists, but I haven't heard anything that's like a, a quote-unquote true ghost story. It's more of like a, you know, weird Lifetime or Hallmark movie, something weird like that, but not in like a real sense. Yeah, I don't see much uh, LGBTQ plus representation in these old-timey sort of ghost stories, or, like, in the media in general when it comes to horror and the spooky scary. So I do think, I don't know. Maybe it was just me, like, wanting to see more homoeroticism in life. But I, like, read to me as, like, oh, this ghost likes this person. And this per- this ghost just happens to hate her husband, so... <laughs> No, but like I think that makes sense, and I and I mean I think that especially with old timey ghost stories, it makes sense why there's not a lot of LGBTQ representation, right? Because like it wasn't talked about, you know, like persecution and uh, of those groups of people and things like that. But like I do think that especially in media today, like Rachel's right. I can't think of anything besides American Horror Story that's like really dealt with. those themes right like yeah last yeah last week maggie and i talked to a friend of mine about the horror industry in general and about the lack of like black people in horror (laughs) so i think that maybe there is as we can see within these ghost stories problems with representation across the field when we're talking about the spooky scary which is how i'm going to refer to this entire thing as in horror movies and real life ghost stories yeah I think also that, like, if we're talking about the real-life spooky scaries, I think that, in my experience, there's a little bit more representation of people of color, at the very least, in real-life spooky scaries, because obviously, like, people of color have died, and there have been ghost claims, and then, of course, we're about to talk about a story that uh, occurred in New Orleans, where there is a heavy culture of um, black witchcraft in, like, a, in, like, a posi- in, like, a positive way, but I agree it doesn't come across the same way in media. Like you don't see the same treatment of it in media at all. 
Yeah, because every culture has their own folklore and therefore is going to have their own spooky, scary stories. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right that there is probably more representation. And I like offhand, now that I'm saying it, I can think of like several South American spooky, scary stories, which apparently the Bell Witch is thought to be descended from. Oh, interesting. According to Wikipedia, so. <laughs> but yeah like i but like uh, but i think your point is right that like the real life spooky scary representation of like the fact that every culture has these stories does not translate into like mainstream media at all okay is there anything else we want to say about the bell witch no i don't think so i think that's that's pretty much i don't want to go to her cave that sounds scary um but yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I want to go see the spooky, scary. I would probably be like Dee Dee though, and be like a complete asshole there, and be like, "This is real" or something to deflect from my own scaredness. <laughs> At least yours would be to deflect from your own scaredness. Dee Dee was being an asshole, just be an asshole. <laughs> that's what you want. I don't know, man. I wouldn't make fun of ghosts. Like some scary stuff could happen to you if you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still alive today. I just that's talked good. to him, so. So far, the devil came to New Orleans. Do you re- want to give us a summary of the story, Rachel? Please. Yeah. So um, it was a book that I read um, called "Haunted New Orleans" um, by um, by Troy Taylor, and so it is. It was um, a story about. This woman. It was about, it was about a house, and in the house, it was said to be built by um, the devil himself, like who just was gonna hang out in New Orleans, I guess. And he fell in love with this French woman, and they were like living in the house, but she was basically like a prisoner there. She couldn't really leave that often, and then she started sleeping with this other man who came to the house, and he, the devil, found out obviously because. He finds out everything and then um, ran into the man on the street and was like, you have to marry her and take my last name. I'm not mad. And told her the same thing, but also that he was like leaving her and she had to leave the house. So the man came over for dinner. She decided that she's going to get the devil back, strangled the man at dinner, like just straight up killed him, cried. The devil came over found them both, laughed, dragged them upstairs uh, to the roof, and then ate them. So... <laughs> the cannibalism really makes it. So then the people... So obviously the house was then emptied, and then people started to move in, and no matter what was in the dining room, like what was put there, whether it was used as a dining room or not, it was just full of boxes, doesn't matter. At the same time, every night, a huge table would appear... And you could watch the murder play out, and then it would just vanish. Like, every night. Until the house was demolished. And then you don't see- and then it never happened again. Um, because people didn't want to stay there. Because that's a really scary thing to watch every single day. (laughs) Um, yeah, I agree. The cannibalism is really what fucking makes this story. Yeah! Do do you guys want to, do you have anything that you want to dive into first? Because I have some questions about this story. I mean, if you 
tip to you. I will try to answer your questions the best I can. <laughs> so the man that she falls in love with is considered to be a Creole man, which from my modern understanding means that he is quote unquote, like a black person mixed with some sort of white race. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the definition by New Orleans standards. And he's also described in the book that you gave us, because um, Rachel, in, in the book that we use to read this story, he's described as being like a kind of cold and slippery man. And she kills him because she wants to run away with him. And then he's like, no, you've had two lovers and you're used up. And now I'm going to go find someone more beautiful and younger. And I just thought that was really interesting because this is like, a story about folklore from New Orleans and it I don't know when it was published or anything like that but I, I think it was interesting that the person that we know the race of who was non-white <laughs> is described in such a manner I also thought it was interesting because something weird like a weird choice I thought the author made was he he describes the French woman at the very beginning as being exotic which is like usually a term like that is offensive to people of color and he was describing a white woman that way so i like i don't know i found it very interesting or she i'm not sure the gender of the author of this story but yeah when was this published rachel do we know yeah i took a picture of that too it was first copyrighted in 2010 and it was printed five times between 2010 and 2013 yeah, so there's like a lot of interesting language for something written in the modern era, but maybe this author was trying to stay really close to the the like original story as the way that it's told. And what what do we possibly? Because a lot of other stories were like, in the other stories in the book, it was kind of used similar language. So I think it might have just trying to keep that New Orleans theme of like yeah past. So going I don't on. know. Do, do we, in other stories in that book, see people of color described in similar ways? Or is that just unique to this story? Um, I'm trying to remember. It's been a couple months since I read the book. That's okay. I, I was just curious because I wanted to know like, if that's thematic of ghost stories in the U.S. I don't think it's like thematic. I think it might just be like this story? one particular um, story. Yeah. Or this book i also thought it was really interesting that the um the woman betrayed the devil here like i thought that was it, it showcased a lot of agency mm. is that typical or non-typical i mean women are murderers and serial killers too so i definitely think that it's 100 percent accurate that this woman might do that if she was that angry to just kill someone even if it was the devil she might not even believe that he was the devil yeah. you know you don't know what that relationship was um he could have been like yeah i'm the devil and she'd be like yeah okay cool and then like then like he's so weird i think also that to this story specifically it talks a lot about the fact that she was extremely lonely and like sad in the house and I think that it's like she betrays the devil, sure, and that's important. But I think it was it wasn't coming from a place of malice toward him necessarily. Like, oh, I'm gonna betray the devil, so much as it was that like she was being 
neglected and was like home alone all the time in this big like domestic cage essentially and like needed human more human contact than what he was giving her so i think in that sense like that to me seems like a trope that i've seen before of like not necessarily like mediated betrayal but in the sense of being like i need more than this and like damn the consequences yeah Mm. did you guys have anything else you wanted to say about this story i had like a whole list of things i had like less questions for this story i think and more just like kind of talking points rachel weird houses are like such a hallmark of uh ghost stories i feel like Mm um did you why is that, do you think? And do you think it has to, it relates to the idea of, like, the domestic sphere in any way? That, like, it's that's the place where ghosts tend to attach and attack? Um, I mean, I, I don't know for certain, but I can give you what I think why weird houses are tend to be more, like, quote-unquote, haunted. Um, yeah, for sure. So, my thinking is, like, if... You know, like, the house in this story, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was said to be, like, this beautiful mansion, super ornate. And I think, like, the weirder something looks, like, even if you're going to make up a story, you want it to be, like, interesting. Like, if someone looked at my house, it's just very plain looking. No one's going to be like, oh, I bet there's, like, a bunch of ghosts in there because it's really cool looking. You know, like, the more crazy, beautiful, like, creep, like, hauntingly gorgeous your house looks it's gonna kind of be like wow i bet something super cool has to be in there or something like tragic or gross or something like and i think that's where that comes from i think more ornate houses tend to like spark your imagination of like what could happen um as to why they tend to seem more haunted i'm not sure (laughs) but that's just kind of my thinking on that is because I look at ha- houses in, like, I live in, like, a Victorianish neighborhood. And some of these are like, wow, I can see why I would believe that house is haunted. It just looks like it would be, you know? I also think, too, like, the older a house is and the larger it is, the more likely people would have died in it. That's true, yeah. too. Historically, the fancier house, probably the more parties you had and the more events happen there. So probably the more energy gets stuck in that particular moment of time as well interesting so like the the idea of a home being kind of a gathering place then ends up being important Mm. at least in my thinking i have no hardcore evidence on this fact but uh that's okay none of us are ghost experts we're just here to have fun we don't do experts on this show we're all amateur all the time baby oh yeah 100 (laughs) percent of the time um I guess I have a question for us to all think about as like, I don't know, it's kind of somber, so I'm sorry. Do we think that the devil in this case is actually supposed to be the devil? Or do we think that this is like a metaphor for a very, very sad and very abusive relationship and like a terrible crime that ended in cannibalism? I'm going to go with it with actually the devil. You think? Just because I... Yeah, just because if he ate them both in one night, I can't imagine, like, first of all, I can't imagine eating a person, but, like, I couldn't sit down and just, like, eating two two people, one being, like, 
a large man and the other one being a woman just sitting down on my roof and like chowing down i just like i can't picture that i would that's something only i think something like truly kind of evil would would do (laughs) i think it's interesting because i don't know enough about new orleans lore but from what i do know that it is like it is eclectic and the story itself like paints him out to be the devil like he has these weird eyes but also like what the fuck is the devil doing having a human mistress and like buying her a house and somehow only existing in new orleans and there's a whole yeah there's just a whole lot of questions and i think that i would need to have a better idea of how the devil exists in different folklore aspects especially in a place like New Orleans where there are so many cultural clashes and and things coming together. So I think that, yeah, it could be a metaphor. um, And it could also have some sort of like mystical element to it. And it might not be the devil as we, as people who, you know, lived in New England um, uh, might think about him or, or are accustomed to thinking about him. Yeah, and I think that's also really interesting. I kind of agree with Rachel that it's probably, I actually, you know, I I think it's kind of probably a little bit of both in the sense that, like, I think it was, I think that the details of it were probably based off something like supernatural, but I think it's entirely possible that like some of the more violence towards women aspects, like, it seems almost to me kind of like a cautionary tale as well. But also, what Harmony was saying about like the idea of the devil. It's interesting because, like, I think that there's a very separate folklore between the deep south of the United States and what the devil means and, like, the northeast of the United States and what the devil means. And I'm sure, like, across other regions of the U.S. either, but, like, because I grew up in the northeast, I have a pretty solid idea of, like, what our, like, notions of the devil are there. And I think that a lot of the notions of the devil in the deep south are very famous, so... It's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. I think that's a really interesting point about understanding what the devil is actually supposed to be and what it means based on geographical context. Yeah. And also like in different cultures, I mean, well, in a place like New Orleans, there's like a, a lot of Christian imagery that is used and then, you know, taken and applied with other sorts of religions that we are not at all familiar with. Like you were talking about black witchcraft, like there is a million different types of black witchcraft and there are a million types of stories about demons and devilish figures that could come into play with that. But yeah, I'm thinking that the truth behind it could be, yeah, a cautionary tale, but the way that the story is meant to be told could be something else altogether that we don't have context for because we're not learned enough in this subject. Yeah. I don't know. It was a very like weird story. I hadn't I really haven't read anything quite like it to be perfectly honest with you. Like it felt like a while I was reading it it felt like a almost a mishmash of a lot of things that I have read just kind of like all shoved together very 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 creepily. I didn't like it. No thank you. I like that though. I think that's very New Orleans, right? Because you have like a million different tales all coming together and of course it's going to come together in a strange mishmash way if it's coming from a place that has a million different cultures and a million different folklores that are going to end up mishmash somehow. Yeah, for sure. I just more meant in the sense of like, I was thoroughly freaked the fuck out by it. I didn't like it. Not that as like a story to 
deconstructed isn't cool for that reason. Yeah, I understand. I definitely understand. It was a strange tale. Do we have any other like stories that are similar to that? You mentioned that you have read different stories. Like, is this a tale we see elsewhere? Not that I can think of at this moment. I'm sure there's similar things about, you know, like lovers quarrels and people killing the other one. There's plenty of those. Um, I don't know if the devil aspect is always there in that story. Um, but yeah, I mean, the devil has a supposedly appeared in like other folk tales and like other legends and ghost stories, but I not quite like this one. Yeah. It is interesting. The loneliness of the woman is interesting. And then I just like that she's sleeping with another man. Like that's agency, baby. Sleep with all the boys, even though they're all fuck boys. The devil's a fuck boy. Her lover's a fuck boy. Gosh. Everybody's a fuck boy. Everybody's a fuck boy. And mm-hmm. that's, girl, that's what we should take away from this podcast. This girl really needed that, like, Lizzo truth hurts energy. Yeah. She did. Too bad. She got eaten instead. <laughs> uh, is there anything else we want to say about this story? I don't know. I We've been um, recording for, like, three hours. My brain is mush. <laughs> Yeah, I can see I can see that we're all I'm like under a blanket and getting progressively more and more hot. Harmony's <laughs> like asphyxiating. I'm like slowly laying down in my bed. Rachel is like half paying attention to us at this point. I'm sorry, Rachel. It's not usually this bad. It's okay. No, I love talking to you guys. I'm just like I'm not very good at the podcast. No, life. you're very good. You're, you're very, fine. very good. We loved you. Everything you say is beautiful. Sure. Do we want to? How, how do we want to wrap this up? What do you all be in for Halloween? Undecided. Undecided for Rachel, Maggie. I think also undecided because Damien and I are going to do a couple's costume, <gasps> and we can't figure out what we're doing. So the argument is up in the air. Be Rick and Morty. I like kind of want to do a couple's costume, but Matt and I are both like kind of resilient, or resistant, not resilient, resistant to that, but. We right now our tentative idea is like him being a dragon and me being a witch because you know living that witchy life. But I was also thinking I could maybe be Martha the dragon slayer who is a Christian saint, and this is like a real thing throughout Christian mythology. There is a saint who is a dragon slayer, and she uses a corset to um, ride the dragon. She like takes off her corset and uses it to ride the dragon. But I don't know if Matt's going to be cool with that because you know he might have to wear a corset. Why? Why didn't I hear about this one when I was in Catholic school? Because the patriarchy. They're going to take out all the cool saints. I would have loved to have been that for All Saints Day. Look up St. Martha. I'm sure she's there. She's just probably not very popular. But I think she is like a real saint. Because you know how you have like the fake saints that people think are saints but aren't actually saints? Martha is in the Bible and actually interacts with Jesus. I don't know if the dragon slaying story is in the Bible. It's amazing how much more you guys know about religion than I do. (laughs) Catholic school for 10 years. I know. It is weird. I wasn't raised religious. I just, yeah, well, I don't know. Unitarian Universalism. So, like, I'm exposed a lot. Okay. Anything else we want to wrap up? Uh, Rachel, what are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading, or I haven't started it yet, but it's called the second book in um, Bright Young, Bright Young Things novel, um, It's Beautiful Days by Anna Gobbrist. I don't know how to say her last name. It's, it's that. Very nice. Harmony, what are you reading? 
I know, I know. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. It's an 800-page book. It's going to take me a while. I get you, girl. I get you. It's just funny because it's been the same answer for, like, the past four episodes. Although partially because we've been double recording. Yeah. 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 Um, Maggie, what are you reading? Nothing, because I finished my book last night and we started recording so early this morning my time that I haven't had a chance to pick up anything new. Yeah. Um. What's that? What's that? I can't see it. It's pixelated. What? Oh, it's an, an elephant. elephant. Oh, yeah. Comes out of the clothes. Before you guys leave, will you sing? Will you sing some sort of spooky song with me that I'm going to put on both of our spooky episodes? Uh, uh, it can go like spooky, scary episodes. Spooky, but I want you all to like jump in. You know? No. Okay, you I'm can. Gonna- I'm going to do it, and y'all can just jump in. Spooky, scary episodes. This is Halloween. Spooky, scary episodes. We are Rebel Girls Book Club. Spooky, scary with Rachel. Spooky, scary with Amaris. Spooky, scary episodes. Spooky, spook, spook, spook. <laughs> it's not as fun if you guys don't jump in, but that's okay. I'm going to stop recording now. Bye, everyone! You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Jump in, but that's okay.